Welcome to the Conversations with Christians Engage podcast, where we go in-depth with practical ways for you to pray, vote, and engage. Today, we are joined by Texas State Senator Brian Birdwell and his wife, Mel. Senator Birdwell was in the Pentagon when it was attacked on September 11, 2001, and he will be remembering that horrific day 20 years later. is an important week for America and so we felt an important conversation for Christians Engaged was needed in this moment. So I am so thankful that today I'm joined by Senator Brian Birdwell and Mel Birdwell as we discuss an important topic, remembering 9-11. I remember exactly where I was on 9-11. I was staring at the TV. My husband was sitting in this couch in our family room and we were just got a call from a company that was gonna buy our pest control company that day. And he had just taken the call and we were sitting there watching their planes fly into the World Trade Center that day and just started weeping, knowing that our world was changing in that moment. I think we all remember what that day was like for all of us. But some of you weren't even born on 9-11. So we wanna go back and we wanna look back what 9-11 means for America today and what it meant in the past. And nobody better to talk about that than Senator Brian Birdwell, a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army. Uh, Brian was in the Pentagon on 9-11 when American Airlines Flight 77 hit the Pentagon. And he's going to tell part of his story. But first of all, thank you all so much for joining me today. Our treat, Bunny. Thank you. Um, A little bit about Senator Birdwell. He was born in Fort Worth, a graduate of Lamar University in Beaumont, U.S. Army Command and General Staff College, and then the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where he earned a Master's of Public Administration degree. He's a decorated uh, military veteran, U.S. Army, 20-year career, including operational deployments, a Bronze Star, a Legion of Merit, and a Purple Heart for the wounding that he received and the suffering on 9-11. Thank you so much, Senator Birdwell. As we are remembering today and this weekend about 9-11, I mean, September 11, 2001, we all remember what we were like, but you had a unique experience. Tell us about that day 20 years ago. Um, That day I was working as a a military aide to a a civilian flag officer in SES-5. Jan Minig was the deputy in our staff directorate. Our principal was Major General Van Antwerp, Colonel Williams was, was his aide, and then uh, our two secretaries, our uh, 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 staff communications officer that we had, Colonel Williams took General Van Antwerp and Ms. Minig out of the building to, for a conference that our staff director was hosting, and Sandy and Cheryl and I settled in for what we expected to be a, a slow day with both the principal and the deputy out of the building. The office is located at the E-ring, which is the outer ring of the Pentagon, the, the outermost ring. Um, and uh, about nine o'clock, as you mentioned just a moment ago, you know, you get that first phone call or you're driving and you hear the first radio report or, or whatever it might be, wherever you were in the, in the country that day. Sandy gets a call from her daughter, Sam, up in New York. She says, you know, hey, mom, turn the TV on. The World Trade Center's been hit by a plane. And we went into Miss Minnig's office, turned the TV on, saw the North Tower with the, the, the antenna mast, the, the first uh, tower hit, um, the black smoke pouring out of the building. And, yeah. and that that thought that, you know, this is a tragic accident, but the thought that this might not be an accident, um, and then that would be confirmed in short order as we'd watch Flight 175 crash into the South Tower and 
Now with the second tower hit, you know, you knew that it, this was not a normal day in our nation's life. We'd kneel down and, uh, and just lead a prayer that said, okay, Lord, you know, we love our first responders, uh, but you're the one that's going to be doing the bulk of the life-saving today. And then when that prayer was over with, we, we uh, just watched the events unfold. I'd had my morning Coke that morning at about 7 o'clock. You know, you have to get into the building at about 6.30 um, to be ready to, to be obeyed to my, uh, my flag officer. And uh, I told Sandy and Cheryl I'd step out at about 9.35 and go hit the men's restroom and I'd be back momentarily. And those are the last words that I would speak to my two coworkers. Wow. Step out, and go to the men's restroom and, and uh, coming out of the men's restroom, returning back to the office, uh, Flight 77 would make impact and I'd, I'd go from a well-lit hallway to the, uh, to the earthly hell of choking black smoke or being set ablaze. And now you were burned. 60% of your body. Um, yeah. uh, you describe on your I Am Second video that you did about 10 years ago about the horror of that moment. Can you just describe that for a second just so people realize the, the depths of it? Yeah, it, it really is like what, what you expect uh, um, for the, the non-believer at death. The, the, the sound of that plane making impact is, I mean, I've been a heavy forces guy my, my entire Army career. Uh, so big tanks, big artillery, um, nothing as loud as that, as that impact. And then in that next nanosecond, as you're set ablaze, uh, struggling to survive, that panic that grabs your heart is really the definition of terrorism when you realize you're facing a life-threatening injury and you cannot escape the source of that injury. You know, in one moment you're very familiar with surroundings, have directional control, and then the next moment, lights are out. The only thing, only lights in the ambient glow of the flame. Don't know which ways to safety, which ways to greater danger. You're struggling to survive. You can see a yellow orangish haze in, in the immediate front and then the outer periphery is just absolute blackness. Um, and so that sense of being lost, um, what that will feel like spiritually for the non-believer. Um, it's exactly what it felt like in the, in the physical sense. And in those moments that seemed to last an eternity, uh, but they were seconds, minute or two. Um, as I struggled to live and survive, uh, that instinct that the Lord knits every one of us in our mother's womb, that I came to that realization that this is no longer the struggle for my life, that I reconciled myself to my death. And I did what we in the military never, you know, trained to do, and that's surrender, quit, give up, and uh, screamed out in a very loud voice, Jesus, I'm coming to see you, and collapsed to the floor. And had reconciled myself to the death, and, but also recognizing that, that uh, I would be called into eternity. And in those moments that I struggled were absolute calamitous, you know, the terror that comes with it. But in that moment of giving up and then waiting for that feeling of the soul departing the body, the, uh, the peace and the quiet and the silence of the confidence of knowing where you will spend eternity um, was a complete 180 degree of the peace that passes all understanding as scripture tells us. Well, and thankfully for us, Jesus did not call you home that day. He, he had, does believe in catch and release, yes. <laughs> you so had four it, courageous <laughs> men that grabbed your body and, and mm -hmm. brought you out to safety and you're yeah. in the hospital. Mel, you get this call that your husband has just been hit by a terrorist attack in the Pentagon. 
Um, I remember reading your book, Refined by Fire, and just being so impacted by your story. Uh, you had been married 15 years at that time, 15. 14 years at that time, and now 34 years of marriage. We all know that's a miracle <laughs> when, we, when we stay uh, connected to those marriage vows. But in that moment, that really impacted your life in a great way. Talk about that moment and what you had to endure. Um, scary beyond words. I mean, we, I actually, my neighbor called and said the Pentagon had been hit and I didn't know his status at that point. Um, it was, uh, probably two and a half hours before I got a call that he was alive and at Georgetown hospital. And wow. I remember watching the Pentagon, that portion that collapsed and just sliding off my couch onto my knees, crying out, God, no, God, no. And, um, our son was 12 at the time, and he was trying to convince me that that wasn't Dad's part of the building, and he went for a walk, and he punched a wall in the house. And um, so I called my best friend and said, um, <clears throat> asked her to call the pastors at our church that I didn't think this was going to end great, and asked them to pray and um, asked her to come over with her boys because they were good friends with Matt and um so she got there just as I got the call that Brian was alive and at Georgetown. So um, uh, it, it literally felt, I mean, so surreal. Like, this can't really truly be happening. Um, I went down to my neighbors who had called me, and she was like nine and a half months pregnant, and I was not getting in a car with her um, to see if her husband was home because he was Army, and I knew he could get, he would take me to the hospital. He wasn't home yet. But I turned down the sidewalk, standing at the end of the sidewalk, had never seen him before, was a sergeant major in uniform. And mm -hmm. I, I knew he'd help me. So I ran to him, explained the situation. He got me to the Key Bridge, which separates Virginia and D.C. Two hours it took us. It would normally take about 30 minutes to get there. Um, ended up running the rest of the way to the hospital across the bridge and um, had no idea I couldn't remember the difference between a first and a third degree burn. And so I just know when I talked to Dr. Williams, he said, he's very severely injured and you need to get here as quickly as you can. And um, the whole time we're going, we're listening to the radio and they're updating the counts at each hospital and they're increasing everywhere except Georgetown and it's always one. And um, I know there's no way he's the only person in Georgetown. There's no way. I think, okay, he's died and... But I would call, and they would say, no, absolutely, keep coming, keep coming. And um, I'll tell you this. When you are met outside of an emergency room with a team of about 30 people, it's not good news. Yeah. It's not good yeah. news. Yeah. So back to you again. Um, so you see him, mm -hmm. and then you're walking through all this intense recovery. Um, how many surgeries was it, 39? It was 39, including the reconstruction. So, and, yeah. and without being too graphic, but just they had to get this infection out of his body. It, it, read the book, Refined by Fire. It's well worth the read. Um, but you were having to endure this as a wife. Um, how did your faith in Christ in that moment make an impact on your daily life, Mel? Well, I mean, you feel literally like you're in God's lap with his arms around you. The, there's... I mean, I literally remember sitting in uh, the waiting room one day, and I was listening to a song um, by Dennis Jernigan. It's holy as the Lord, and the, the verse is, 
when I call my father and he takes my hand, I know I'm a child of the king. Yes. And it was just so powerful. And it, it literally just felt like God just snuggled me up and was like, this is going to be rough. Mm-hmm. But I've got you. But it was just, and I journaled constantly mm-hmm. because that was really my mental health outlet. I mean, if you were to read my journals, you would go, I don't know, she may be. <laughs> she might not make it. <laughs> she may be a little crazy. I don't know. Um, but um, I was just a 100% dependence on the Lord. When I'd left home, I did not take my Bible. So when we were at Georgetown, there was this Catholic priest came to me and he said, what can I do for you? And he, I said, I need a Bible because I didn't bring mine. And so he brought me a New Testament, and I was like, well, can I get, like, the whole thing? Because there's a lot of really good stuff in the Old Testament. I'm going to need that, too. He said, yes, sure, of course. So he did, and I clung to that Bible for for months. Yeah. Brian, how, how did your faith in Christ pull you through, I mean, months and years of, of pain? Yeah. I mean, when you wanted to go home many times to the Lord. <laughs> well, the, you're right. I mean, it... it you, you've said it very cleanly, but, but yeah, there, there were, you know, when you're laying there conscious, um, there's no such thing as a pain-free day, no. but there were, you know, you count the seconds, the minutes, I mean, everything is elongated because all you can think about is how much you hurt. Mm. And particularly after seeing Matt and having the opportunity to say goodbye to Matt, your son. Our son. Then I was like, okay, Lord, I'm done. Let's finish this and finish what the terrorists had started. Mm-hmm. Mel was my anchor through, because the medical staff didn't constantly change, but shifts and, and you know, my memory of up to Georgetown is very clear and very vivid. After that, whether it's amnesiotics or pain, you know, morphine, Dilaudid, whatever it might have been, there's a, there's a, somewhat broken and distorted. I remember the things that are emotionally intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the manner in which I remember other things is out of order or somewhat distorted. Um, but Mel was the anchor of, okay, Mel's here. And communicating with her was, was I mean, I've got a trach in my throat. There's no air passing over my vocal cords. Hands are wrapped. I mean, she already will tell you I'm a bad speller. So trying to spell in the air and, and but having her there as my advocate was, other than the Lord, the, the most important thing because the, the fact, one of the, the, the day I, I, mean, I don't remember what day it was, but I remember it clearly where she's got her Bible, she's got her concordance. Would you like me to read scripture to you? And she, she went through the concordance and going through various words and she came to suffering. And I remember latching onto that word and then she read in various verses, but the verse that we clung to was 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, yes. the God of all grace will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And that was the Lord's promise that we grabbed onto. And then, and then, you know, I took that in the sense of perfecting being, would this be being in, in the presence of the Lord after, after death? Because one of the hardest days emotionally was the day I get out of ICU. And while that's a great day physically, the emotion of, okay, now that the question of life or death has been answered and it's life, my live. body's a wreck, how do I provide for my family? 
How am I going to be a, a father to, to, to Matt? What was normal on the morning of September 11th and before is now uh, dramatically different. What's my new normal going to look like? And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm you know, in physical therapy, I'm doing romper room exercises. And, and on the morning of, of, you know, September 11th, I was in outstanding physical condition. And, and now I can't even eat on my own or toilet on my own or do, or do, I mean, I'm a six foot infant wrapped like a mummy. So what do you say to people that have, over the last few years have felt like they're enduring more suffering than they ever have before? Yeah. What's your message to help people in this moment? Because this hour of history, yeah. it seems like people are, they're feeling the pressures of suffering right now. So as believers, what do we sink our teeth in in those moments? Well, we sink our teeth into that there's a lot of life left to be lived. Um, when Mel and I have had the opportunity to, to be in with whether it's veterans that have been injured, um, you know, whether it's at Brook Army Medical Center or where, wherever it might be, to encourage them. You know, um, Paul in, uh, in Corinthians tells us to you know, comfort others as we were comforted. So similar to whether it's the, the cancer survivor that comes along, the cancer patient, whatever the malady might be, um, to go encourage those, those servicemen that had been injured, been, been burned, been wounded and missing a, uh, you know, an amputation of a, of a leg or an arm or, or the loss of an eye. We, we, maybe I didn't have the exact injuries, but to go encourage them that there's a lot of life left to be lived because in the last 20 years, it isn't that that we concentrate on the 20 years of the, of the scars I've worn, because I'll only have these as long as the Lord allows me to be here, but we know the Lord will have His in yes. eternity, uh, for eternity. Um, but there's a lot of life left to be lived. We've, you've gotten to see Matt you know, graduate from high school and, and graduate from, uh, from Texas Tech, get married, grandkids are in the picture now, and so we're, there's a lot of life left to be lived, and so even though it's 20 years and I'm going to turn 60 this year. Doesn't seem possible because I turned 40 Praise in the hospital. The Lord. <laughs> but, but however much, however many more years the Lord has for us, there's still a lot of life left to be lived. Yeah. Uh, there's still things that the Lord has for us to do in whatever capacity that might be. So the youngsters out there don't remember um, what we remember of how the country came together, Mel. That we came together, um, patriotism was at a height. Everyone was American. It didn't matter if you were Republican or Democrat. We were, uh, we were American. We were all about uh, pursuing justice for our country and for our countrymen. You had people going to church that hadn't gone to church forever. There was a revival of people searching out truth. Um, what do you remember about that season of America? And, and what can we remember today that can help us in this crazy partisan divided time? Kind of strangely, we didn't get to experience it as much because we were in the hospital and isolated, so we watched it on TV. But, you know, in talking with friends and talking with people from church, you know, people were like, because we lived in Washington, D.C. It's not a friendly place. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just not. You don't make eye contact with people in D.C. I DC. call it the darkest place on the planet. <laughs> I, can, I mean, you literally don't make eye contact. You don't stand on the left side of the escalator. You're going to get run over. But... Um, Everyone was saying it's a different world. You know, people are kind to one another. There's no, the partisanship is gone. It's just a, a different world. And, you know, kids today that are alive that weren't then, I mean, he's got several staffers that were either infants or not born. And, 
you you try to explain that to them and they can't really comprehend it and I mean we don't have an example of that right now I mean I think we have a little bit of it with Afghanistan because I think as a country we've come together because we're so angry with how um, we've left our people behind yeah. and we've left those people that helped us behind um, to a degree there's that um, I don't I don't know the answer how to, to reach Millennials I know the one thing that I do know that is disarming to people is if they talk to you about a problem, an issue, a complaint, can we pray about it together? And yeah. nine times out of ten, they're just like, yeah, okay. And you can just pray with them. And that's, I mean, that's the most disarming thing to do to people. Amen. And you just pray. And they, most of them are shocked and stand there like statues while you're hugging them, praying with them. But I don't really care. Jesus hears us, so... Well, Cinder, you are faced with real enemies. Um, you know what real evil looks like, um, a perfect example of that. And we're seeing today, I mean, we've got Afghans throwing their children up, you know, trying to get their kids to freedom, right? There's real evil in the world, but yet so often we are we're stuck in this uh, non-reality world of fighting little wars over stupid things. Um, what do you want to say to people about what real evil and real enemies should look like? Yeah, if you if you wonder how great your country is, go look at people getting on an aircraft in Kabul on the outside of that aircraft trying to get out. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't want to be snarky because that's just not me, but um, this country has its problems, but for all of our maladies, yes, this is still the greatest place on the Lord's planet till the day he comes back. And the, the evil that we face is the, is the evil that is defined in Scripture. You know, we live in a fallen, sinful world. John Wayne said it really well. I mean, if people don't accept Scripture, John Wayne's always, you know, the best, <laughs> the second, uh, thing. second best, to, you know, to the Lord, second best, you know, there's right and wrong, you've got to make a choice. Um, what are the choices that our nation's going to make? Look, because in the in the legislative process, the arguing that goes back and forth about what's the right answer on a legislative question before us. Um, you know, I've had bills that, that were contentious, that, that, that didn't break out, uh, you know, with a lot of, of unity, but it was a, a Republican-Democrat divide. Then there was, there's other bills that I've had complete unison with the, with the Senate that, that were tough bills that I had to work, but the, the, the Senate worked it out. and, and People were on board, so it, that normal struggle that the founders gave us, with the legislative branch being where those debates occur as to what policy should be, that's a normal expectation that there's going to be disagreement. Right. And how do we handle those disagreements? Is in that legislative process for those differences to be worked out, what direction we're going to go. Um, but now it seems that that there's such an animus. Uh, to those that disagree, particularly if you're on the, the conservative side of the aisle as I am, that, you know, you're the problem, you're the enemy. There are people in our national leadership that have called people like me, you know, the enemy. Uh, that is not the helpful. The Taliban. That's what they called you. Well, the yeah. yeah and it's not helpful to our political it, discourse. It's not helpful to the political discourse. Um, to compare the, the people that flew planes in the building. Yeah, that's... Yeah. 
No, and, no. and so that's why it's so important that, that Christians be engaged to push back against that culture. It doesn't mean we go treat them as, as our enemies, because um, they're not. They're, I mean, look, I don't know who all the Americans are that are, that are stuck behind enemy lines, but the fact that you're an American, um, you know, I don't want to get into the, what, the woulda, shoulda, couldas and, and, and all those things, but, um, you know, I'm asking if you're an American, not if, okay, well, we'll save you because you've got the right political worldview. We won't save you because you don't. I mean, those are the kinds of things that are happening with, you know, Republicans, Candace Owens, uh, not being, you know, given a COVID test. Those are the types of things happening where we are separating into tribes and treating and taking people and, and ready to treat them differently because of a, you know, viewpoint discrimination, so to speak. That is a dangerous territory to be in. So we really need to spend some time today and this weekend really looking at our hearts and really defining what we're really supposed to be fighting for. How do we major in the majors and minor in the minors, right? And really focus our lives in the right direction versus some of the things that we're seeing in our culture. Um, as you think about 9-11, um, how shall we then live? I love the book by Francis Schaeffer. How should we then live knowing about the reality of culture in the past, the, the kingdoms that have come and gone? We're approaching five more years until America will be 250 years, as we know. How do we keep this republic? What is a quick few words that you can just encourage people today of how they continue to live? Sure. Um, I think the, the most important thing is you got to, you and God have to talk about that and figure out what his purpose is for your life because his purpose for my life is going to be different than his purpose for Brian's life. I mean, even though we're one, we're, we're very, very different people. And so um, I give him about a 10,000-word limit a day with me, and he has to find other people to talk to then because he <laughs> likes words. <laughs> yes, he does. It's true. And so, I mean, I, I really think that that's, you know, your prayer life. And that's God revealing to you what it is we're all supposed to do, which you've experienced yourself. I mean, and then I think once God reveals that to you, it's not, well, I'll do that next week. It's, it's time. Let's go. And yeah. go time is no joke with God. Yeah. Yep. As you remember 9-11 20 years ago, what can you tell people today? I, I think the, what I miss most in those days immediately after the impact is how close I was to the Lord in the, desper the desperation of the circumstance. Yeah, it's like an intense personal closeness. Yeah, I mean, just like Mel said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Lord's arms cradling me. I, I felt that same, that same sense of closeness. You know, when you're praying to open up your milk carton, be able to eat, let me at least get out of bed so somebody can help me, mm. you know, go to the restroom. Humbling. When everything is a prayer in every moment of the day, but as you gradually come out of that trough, and I'm now opening my milk carton, I'm now going to the toilet, you know, I think our nation misses that closeness with the Lord um, and His blessings. Because look, we're, we're always going to be in a fallen, sinful world. Um, but like I said earlier, this is still the greatest place on earth but I want the Lord's hand of protection being upon us. We're still going to deal with our challenges. We're still going to deal with, with evil even in our own nation.
but how we decide to deal with it from a, that biblical worldview of what, of what right and wrong is. And that comes from that relationship with the Lord. Um, I think our nation misses that mm-hmm. immensely. That's a good word. And that's really what we're doing at Christians Engage is our heart is to awaken the church, to realize that we need God more than anything else. And if we go back to the basic uh, starting place, simplicity of following Jesus, simply praying for our nation, taking those intercessions and joining with Jesus, right, for our nation, our city, state, nation, voting in every election, electing godly people that live righteous lives. Uh, Proverbs says, you know, when the wicked rule, the people groan. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. So the difference of that dichotomy and then also giving people permission to engage in some sort of political education and civic engagement. This is the time in history when we have to wake up church. Um, It's time for us to take the the history lessons of the past. And I so appreciate y'all's story. I know this has blessed a lot of people today as we remember 9-11, but we have to apply it for where we are in our lives ahead and the days ahead. So thank you guys so much for sharing with us. Um, Really appreciate you being with us today. Our treat, thank you. So you all remember Um, November 5th and 6th, we're having our wake-up conference in Dallas-Fort Worth. You do not want to miss it. Again, God is gathering the Awakening Church in this hour to encourage each other that we have a destiny for this republic, and it's the church, the body of Christ, that's called to be salt and light in this arena, and it's time for us to rise up and save our republic for the years ahead. Let's remember 9-11 together, and let's save America for as our founders desired us to do. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast is a production of Christians Engaged. We are a nonpartisan nonprofit that exists to awaken, motivate, and educate ordinary believers in Jesus Christ to pray for our nation regularly, vote in every election, and engage our hearts in some form of political activism. To learn more about us, please visit our website at christiansengaged.org. That's christiansengaged.org.